This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Halftime Institute. To receive a free copy of Bob Buford's classic book, Halftime, moving from success to significance, just go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime. And then I think the absolute key part of the magnetic mindset is a focus on the customer and a focus on always creating value and always getting better at creating that value from the people that, uh, that, that you do do business with. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, author and speaker, Joe Calloway. Now, today I talk with Joe about his book, Magnetic, The Art of Attracting Business. And this interview has some great examples of businesses that became magnetic in a number of different fields. And if you want some practical guidance on attracting business, like the title suggests, be sure to stay tuned. My partner, John Ramstead, wasn't able to make it to this one, so here's how I got this conversation started on this edition of Eternal Leadership. All right, so today on Eternal Leadership, we have Joe Calloway on. Joe, thanks for coming on. I'm happy to be here. Wouldn't be anywhere else, Steve. <laughs> so as John loves to do when he starts off shows, we, we want to hear your story. So tell us a little bit about Joe, where, where you're from, your business path, how you've grown, yeah. et cetera. Well, you know what? It's, it's kind of, I think it's, it's kind of a typical American story. I grew up in a little town called Springfield, Tennessee, on a little dairy farm just outside of town. And, uh, you know, my, it, I wouldn't take anything for that experience because my memories of getting up before dark with my big brothers and my dad and going out to milk the cows and then put the, the, the cans full of milk in the back of the pickup truck, take the pickup truck to the milk plant. You put the cans in on one end, they dump the milk out, and your empty cans come out on the other end. You go back to the farm, get ready for school, and go to school. And so, and my dad was also a, a small town banker in, in addition to being a, a farmer. So I grew up That's in a- That's hard in a, working. That's a really hard working hard guy. Working. I mean, yeah. just, just full-time uh, farmer is hard work enough, but add, add being a banker on top? And you know what? I honestly, Steve, we never actually really talked about it. But I think all of us, meaning all of his children, got the sense that the only reason for the farm was because he loved it. He just loved doing that work. He loved having those, you know, 18 dairy cows to milk every morning. And uh, so I would show cows at the county fair and the state fair and grew up outside and also kind of grew up by myself because the nearest brother to me was five years older. Uh. And then, then the other siblings were older than him. So I, I, they had their interests and, and I, I was out on the farm making stuff up. I was playing army and you know, all that, but I think it, I think it helped my creativity, which serves me well to this day in my work. Uh, I had a great imagination, and uh, I I didn't mind being by myself. I was by myself. I was alone, but I wasn't lonely. Uh, there's a difference, and so it was a great childhood. Um, graduated from from the little high school there. Went to ended up graduating from uh, a, a small college in Tennessee, where I was a member of the the debate team. Uh, and, and I love that. Oh, but back up a little bit. All through high school and even after high school, I was in rock and roll bands. 
I was uh, I was uh, I was a very mediocre but extremely enthusiastic singer. <laughs> In why, why doesn't the enthusiasm surprise me? Yeah, well, it's the only thing that that let me get away with it. I think I distracted everybody with the enthusiasm. Yeah. But, you know, and and I think that shows up in my career in that I was just, I was comfortable being up in front of people, whether it was singing or whether it was debating. And I also did some speech making uh, as a student. And so I, I enjoyed that process of being in front of people. And as far as speaking goes, delivering a message that hopefully had a point to it. Um, got out of college and worked for the uh I was always interested in politics. I worked uh, in a gubernatorial campaign for two full years, then went to work for the Speaker of the House of Representatives in the state of Tennessee. So I was hanging around up at the state capitol all the time, uh, not making any money to speak of, but boy, having a great time. And then ended up changing paths, and I moved out to the state of Washington from Tennessee, Uh, My sister was living out there, and her husband was starting a real estate business, which I knew nothing about, but I threw everything in the back of my Mustang. And how old were you at the time? I was, let's see, I was 25. Okay, okay. And so I went into the real estate business, and, and I never really got bit by the real estate bug, but I learned a lot about business. And uh, I became the sales manager, then general manager, and we had uh, a meeting of all the real estate agents every morning for one hour, and that was my meeting. And I got paid, once I became the general manager, based on how much business all the agents did. And so I was very motivated for them to succeed because there was a direct Mm -hmm. benefit to me. So I got bit by the bug, Steve, of how can I find, discover, develop ideas that will help other people do well? And I just got, and to this day get, a kick out of that process of, of and, and it's, I, I'm not particularly smart. I'm not a brilliant idea generator, but I'm a really good reporter and I'm good at synthesizing what's going on out there and saying, hey, here are some things that work and you can do those same things. And so that's been the basis of my now, gosh, 33, I guess, 33 year career uh, doing speaking and consulting and for the last 11 years writing books. And so uh, it's been an interesting path, but I, I didn't grow up wanting to do this because I didn't know that such a job existed. Uh, and, when, and when I first started, I did not have the first clue what I was doing. I mean, I was just thrashing around. You know, I wrote in one of my books, though, about the, the great freedom that comes from being completely ignorant and unknowing of what you're doing. Because you don't know the rules, so you'll try anything. And and, <laughs> and I was uh, I was heavy on the try anything into the spectrum, and uh, you know hung on by my fingernails, just starving to death as I got the business going. But little by little, I did get it going, and uh, it's it's been a fun ride up to this point. So, what specifically then kind of drew you? 
into speaking? What I, I, obviously you love being in front of people. Yeah, I, I'll tell you exactly what it was. Uh, I was doing so much. It wasn't speaking. It was training. And I was doing it for those real estate agents out in Washington. Then I moved to Nashville and became director of marketing for a much, much larger real estate firm that had about 100 agents. But all the training was under me. And so I was doing lots and lots of training. And the, the big path switch came when one of the agents said, you know, my husband works for one of the big banks in town, and he has to do with training and development for them. Mm -hmm. And I keep telling him about what you're doing for us here at the real estate company. He's very curious. He'd like to talk to you. Well, he ended up hiring me on the side, and it was fine with the real estate uh, agency owner. He hired me to do some training for the bank. I quit the real estate job, went on my own, started knocking on doors uh, with that foundation of doing this training for the bank, uh, which they, they gave me quite a, quite a bit of business for a couple of years. And just little by little, uh, I, I developed some some a level of expertise in training. And then people started saying, hey, could you come speak to our professional association uh, about the stuff you talk about in your training? Well, that's a whole different deal, giving a speech as opposed to doing training. Again, I didn't know what I was doing. So I just kind of made it up and and, uh, thrashed around and was able to – survive and hang on to the point that I started getting better at it. And then, um, then the rest is kind of history. I've been, I've been doing a lot of speaking at, uh, corporate events and conventions, uh, ever since. Now I've read, and I've seen a little bit of you on YouTube and around the internet that your messages, your speaking is very interactive. And I'm sure a part of that comes from that sure. creativity that you had as a child being on your own and doing that, but then also from the training aspect, because training is, is, is not a one way communication. Yeah. And you know, the third aspect is that I was doing pretty much the standard speaking, which was one way, but I did have that training background and always enjoyed that. And it finally, I have a low threshold for, for boredom. And I finally, (laughs) I just, Steve, I got bored, silly hearing me do all the talking. And every time during a speech, I would have a little just spontaneous exchange with somebody in the audience. That was always the most fun for me. So I shifted. And now, even on my website, it says Joe doesn't do standard speeches. Everything I do now is is interactive. Even if I'm doing a keynote keynote speech in front of a thousand people, it's going to be interactive because um, I, I think there's value there and I just enjoy it. I I think that's also a very key thought because I remember Dr. Dobson saying that at one point, very early in his career on radio, he realized that eventually he was going to run out of things to say. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. so he needed to interview people. He needed to bring in people, but yet still be the main voice. And I, yeah. I, 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 that's very wise. That's very wise. Well, and it, it just suits who I am, particularly at this point in my life. Uh, I'm just not real interested in speeches anymore. Yeah, you know, I can enjoy somebody else's speech, but I but I'm vitally interested in conversations and in an exchange of ideas and and hearing what other perspectives are. Uh, my close circle of friends are a bunch of guys that are really smart 
And one thing I love about our, our group, and we email constantly, I mean every day, talk about everything, everything, business, politics, food, everything. Mm-hmm. And we are all open to each other's opinions, which sometimes are very, very different. We're all open to other perspectives. I love the experience of talking to somebody that I disagree with, Mm. but as I listen to them, having that sensation of, wow, I never thought of it that way. I mean, I just feel like I grow a little bit when, when I have a realization that, you know, Joe, the way you see the world isn't necessarily right. It certainly isn't the only way to see the world. And I just, I, I, I just feel like I'm blessed with, with enjoying that process of, of hearing other people's perspectives, even the ones I disagree with. Uh, I always figure I can learn something. Is that a perspective that you've always had? Or is that something that as age has matured you, you've, you've come to that realization? You know, something that I think uh, really had a big impact on me, and I mentioned it earlier, I was a debater starting in junior high school, all the way through high school, all the way through college. When you go to a debate tournament, there's one topic, one, that everybody's debating. And you take turns being on the affirmative, then you're on the negative, then you're on the affirmative, then you're on the negative. And you do that for eight, ten years, and it teaches you there are two sides. There are, a, there are more than two. There are a lot of different sides and a lot of different perspectives. So I've got that training kind of drilled in me. But you, I think you hit on the biggest part of it, which is just hopefully as you get older, you get more p- mature. And, I, and it doesn't mean that I'm wishy-washy. I have very strong opinions and beliefs and values. And I think as I've gotten older, I truly have developed a healthy respect and openness for other people's uh, values and beliefs. And, and I, I want to hear them. I just, I'm interested in hearing other ways of thinking about things. And now I assume transitioning over to your book that listening and, you know, interacting with people is a big part of being magnetic. The book is magnetic, the art of attracting business. Yeah, it absolutely is, because uh, uh, ultimately, if there's a core message in that book, it says, look, your ability to attract customers, to have customers come to you, to, to have customers seek you out, to have your existing customers tell other people, hey, you need to check this guy out. He's really, really good at what he does, or this store, or this product, or whatever you may be. The only way that's going to happen is, and I've got an entire chapter on something, simplest idea in the world, incredibly powerful, called the win-win strategy. The only way you win in business is by making sure that the other guy wins. You, you, you have to create value for the people whose money you are taking. You have to have them walking away saying, wow, this feels great. I, I love what this company, this business, this person did for me. I love the product they sold me, or I love the experience that they created for me. Um, and so th- that's, a, that's an absolute core part of the foundation of the way I do business, which is I've got to create wins for other people. And ultimately, that's what creates a magnetic business. The thing in the book is that I give 
lots and lots of ways to think about doing that and to be strategic about it and to be intentional about it. So you're not just hoping that your customers go away happy and saying good things about you. You're strategic in making that happen. So um, lots in the book about understanding the customer's perspective, which to get back to your original point was, yeah, there's a lot of listening. There's a lot of paying attention, paying attention involved in being successful. I truly believe that. So what is, describe what is a magnetic mindset? Well, there's lots of things that go into a, a magnetic mindset. Uh, I've got a chapter in the book called The Magnetic Mindset. Uh, one of the things that I talk about is not ever falling into the trap of saying, oh, I don't have to worry about my competition because they're not good at what they do. That's that's the dumbest rookie mistake that anybody could ever make, is to say, my competition isn't any good. I'm the only one. I've I've got 100% dibs on being any good at what I do. That's crazy. I'll tell you from, I mean, I don't, I, mean, I wonder what life is like on that planet where your competition is is incompetent. My competitors are really, really, really good at what they do. I mean really good at what they do. UPS's competition is FedEx. FedEx is really good at what they do. And FedEx will say the same thing about UPS. And yet I, I run into a lot of people, Steve. I mean, I've even heard people say, well, I don't have any competition. Uh, there, there's just nobody that's as good as I am. Um, I've never seen that happen in the real world. I just really have never seen it happen. I mean, in basketball, Michael Jordan had competition. You, you're never so good that you, that you don't need to constantly get better because, believe me, your competition's getting better. Another uh, aspect of having a magnetic mindset, and I, I love this idea, um, is the ability to say no and to know when to walk away from business. And I think everybody listening can can think about the customers that have been way more trouble than they were worth. The ones that took so much of your effort, so much of your energy. Um, gosh, they, there are people that will just pull your spirit right out out of you and and trample on it if you let them do it and and part of this comes with age i've got a filter and i tell you i can sense early on when somebody is is talking to me about doing business and i get a real clear signal you know i don't want to spend time with this person i don't want to hang out with them they're not for me they need to move on to somebody else because it just doesn't feel right in my heart in my gut uh, I don't I don't want that kind of business. And I think it's part of the success mindset is to learn what to walk away from, what to say no to, even though and that's hard, particularly when you're starting a business and you need the income. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I tell you, I think it's absolutely essential. And then I think the absolute key part of the magnetic mindset is a focus on the customer and a focus on always creating value. And always getting better at creating that value from the people that, uh, that that you do do business with. So give me some examples of how people have shifted that focus towards the customer and given the customer some yeah. incredible value. 
One of the things in the book that I recommend, and I recommend it in my speaking and the people that I work with, um, the, the, the little consulting that I do do, this is a very, very simple way to think about your business, and it can be incredibly powerful, and it really helps you focus on the customer. Here you go. What are the three things that you have to get right every single day, all day long with every customer? The three things. And there are people that say, Joe, my business is way more complicated than that. I've got a thousand things I have to get right. Nope, nope, pull it back and come up with three. And I'll give you a concrete example. One of my clients is uh, a freight line, a freight company, uh, international. And that logistically is an extremely complicated business. It's like a jigsaw puzzle with 10,000 moving parts. Steve, they boiled it down to three things, and here they are. And I love the language because there's not the first hint of corporate speak in this. They talk like real people. Here's the three things they figure they have to get right with every customer. Number one, pick it up when you said you would. Number two, deliver it when you said you would. Number three, deliver it intact and all there. And they figured it out that if they get those three things right all day long with every customer and better than the competition is doing it, then they win, which is, which is true. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a fast food chain uh, that, that I've worked with. Their three things are, number one, we will serve only the freshest, highest quality food. Number two, with the highest level of service. And they've broken that down so they know very specifically what that means. Number three, and this is my, my favorite, served in a spotless, sparkling, clean environment. Which in the now, fast food industry come, is very difficult because, I mean, you have uh, people difficult. coming in constantly, especially especially when it gets to be winter. You have people tracking in mud, and, uh, yeah. you know, just slush. And, and just think about it. If you're on a road trip with your family, how important is it that a place have clean restrooms? Yes. I mean, come on. It's a big deal. But there's there's lots of other things that they could have focused on. But they said, no, these three. These are going to be the three. And so, and listen, uh, the, the trucking company and the fast food business, all three of those were incredibly customer focused. And so one rock solid takeaway that everybody listening, and I don't care what kind of business you're in, whether you're, you could be working for a nonprofit, you could be business to business, retail, it doesn't matter. What are the three things? that you have to get right every single day, all day long. That's a powerful way to simplify the way you think about your business and to get you focused and keep you focused on the things that matter most. What are your three things? My three things, number one, without question. Uh, Some people say almost to the point of obsession. Uh, It's what I focus on all day long, Steve. And number one is product quality and product improvement. Now for me, my product are ideas and the advice and ideas that I give to my customers that I put in the books, that I put in my speeches. There are a lot of people in my business that say, I got a great speech. I don't have to worry about that. I tell you what I'm working on every single day are the next speeches coming up on my calendar. And every one of them is different because I want every one of them to really hit the bullseye for that audience and what I can bring to them that would be of the highest and best value at that moment. 
And I, I can't give the same speech twice because, I, I mean, come on. Surely I can think of a way to make it better tomorrow than I did today. And that's so that's my number one priority. For me, it's it's product quality and improvement. Number two, be incredibly easy to work with. There's a guy, Steve, uh, great guy. His name is John DeJulius. And he, I think, is just about the leading customer service expert in the country. John actually owns uh, a a chain, small chain of very, very high-end hair salons up in the Cleveland area called John Roberts Salons. That's how he got started. And it's still, uh, he's still the CEO of John Roberts Salons. Um, And I love it. They've got a philosophy there that every single person that works for them knows this philosophy. And here it is. The answer is yes. Now, what's your question? (laughs) I love that. That's their attitude towards customers. So my version of that is be incredibly easy to work with. And if I can possibly say yes, I say yes. Number three, this may seem like a small thing. It's a big deal, particularly with customers today. I respond immediately to customers, potential customers, and business partners. I mean, when I check my email, which I do all day long, periodically, I go down the list. And if there's something from a customer, a potential customer, or a business partner, I respond to it immediately, even if it's only to say, hey, Steve, got your email. I'm on it. I'm about to go into a meeting. I'll be back when you, with you when I've got a little more information, and we can spend some time. But you immediately know that I got your email. I saw it. I get it. And, and I will get back to you. If, if, I, if it's not appropriate or I can't solve it or deal with it right then. I've been doing that for over 30 years. This immediate response to people. It's become part of my brand. It's part of the way I do business. And believe me, it is a tiebreaker. I mean, number one is the product, but that being easy to work with and always responding to people, certainly in my business, it's a huge, huge competitive advantage. When I hear you say that, I know there are going to be listeners thinking, oh, no, I check my email enough already. I, mm-hmm. I, I, this, this guy must be checking his email 24 seven. And the first thing in the morning when he wakes up and uh, they, they, their stress level is literally going up thinking about, okay, how could I do this? Because they don't want to be checking their email. Do you, I assume you probably carve out time that you just don't, you turn off your phone, you check, don't check email, that sort oh, of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. When I'm with my family, <laughs> baby, I'm with my family. I'm not kind of with my family. I'm with them. But let me tell you what stresses me out. And then I'll let your listeners decide what, what, which side of the stress spectrum they come down on. What stresses me out is to have customers that are unhappy because their situation didn't get attended to. What stresses me out is thinking, oh my gosh, I, bet, I know there's 50 emails piled up in my email box that I haven't gotten to, and at some point, I'm going to have to get out. What stresses me out is having a list of things to do that's a mile long. What calms me down and puts me in utter complete control is to think everything that needs to be taken care of has been taken care of. 
I can't stand that list up in my head of things that I know I've got to do. So the, the way I eliminate that list is I do them. I do them. Now, having said that, I'm very effective and very efficient at getting things done. And that's a skill I've developed over the years. I can have a list of 20 things that somebody would look at and go, oh my gosh, that's going to take me two days. I look at it and go, hour and a half. Hour and a half. And this will be done. And I'm just good at being incredibly focused. But I can't stand the stress of having a big pile of things undone that are this cloud weighing over me. And so I think that my system is the one that sets you free and is stress-free. The other thing that I, if people say, well, I've got more important things to do than take care of my customers. <laughs> do, do Good you luck really? with that. Good luck with that. Do you really? How's that working out for you? What in the world is more important than taking care of your customers? And listen, I'm not saying that you have to Stop and take an hour every time a customer wants something. But I do think you can figure out a way to respond to them relatively quickly, even if it's just a got your message, I'll be back with you um, as quickly as possible. Just so people feel acknowledged and they know that they are important to you. That's all I'm saying. Listen, I live in the same real world as everybody else with the same time pressures. And no, I don't work 24-7. Um, I, I've got, I've got a, a 10 year old daughter and a 14 year old daughter and a wife, and I'd rather hang out with them than do anything. They've all got me wrapped around their fingers. It's not a fair fight. And I, <laughs> I love every second of it. So no, I'm not taking calls. Uh, last night when we were decorating the Christmas tree, <laughs> believe me, there was no business going on. So give some more examples of businesses that have become magnetic. I, I, I saw that there was, you, you talk about a web designer. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, my de- web designer, Brian Craker, it's interesting. I decided that, that I really, I, I wasn't happy with the web design company that I had. And so there's a couple of colleagues whose judgment I really trust. And well, actually I asked about five of them. I said, who do you guys use or recommend? Well, two of them were using the same guy out in, out in California. And uh, two of the other three had heard of him, and they had heard very good things about him. So to me, that's a no-brainer. Uh, and that's an example of being magnetic when your existing customers drive other customers to you. Well, I was a customer driven to Brian Craker uh, by his existing customers. He, it's amazing. I mean, he's so responsive that I'll write, if I have an idea and happen to write to him on a Saturday, I, I'll put on the subject line, Brian, wait until <laughs> Monday. You can, this can wait. Be with your wife and your, your kids. But, um, and he does. He's, he's a family guy too. But Brian, I can write him in the morning, uh, at at nine o'clock and say, Hey, Brian, there's a change I want to make on the homepage. Just put me in line. There's no rush on this. Whenever you can get to it, let me know. And 26 minutes later, I'll get an email from him and it'll say, take a look at the homepage and see if this is exactly the way you wanted it. And it's done. 
and in the book, he's actually, he's one of the people in the book that I use as an example. And I ask him about this. I say, how important is it to your business to be responsive the way you are to me? And he said, in my business, in web design, it's incredibly important. He said, the people that I work with are professionals who they do things quickly. They expect things to be done quickly. He said, and it's the most important thing I do is to look at what they want done, do it immediately, let them know that it's been done, and see if it's been done to their satisfaction. So yeah, he's a shining example of somebody that's magnetic. And by the way, I have now referred Mm -hmm. at least five other businesses to him. People say, how can I get more customers? Do great work. That's how you get more customers. I'm telling you, there's, there's nothing more powerful than that. Snowboard manufacturing startup. That's yeah, another one Gilson, that you talk about. Gilson Boards. Uh, I was approached about this company a couple of years ago. Uh, they were a startup, brand new. They have had a, had a new idea for the actual design of snowboards to make them a better ride and that you could do more things with them. So anyway, I, I learned about them, uh, fell in love. I'm not a snowboarder. So I couldn't objectively judge their work, but I could judge the people. Uh, and I fell in love with this bunch of 20-somethings and their work ethic and their values. Um, I, I, I just loved everything about them. And so I got more and more involved, and now uh, I'm their official advisor on business development. The thing that makes them magnetic is from the very start, they took their boards and went to the ski slopes all over the country. They've got an Airstream trailer, and they go all winter long. They're at ski slopes saying, hey, take a ride on our board, see what you think. And people get to the end of the run, and they go, oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I, I love this snowboard. And so it's been a very grassroots building of support. And within the snowboard community, the word has spread and they're they're getting more and more and more successful and it all they are magnetic steve because they do great work and snowboarders are telling other snowboarders and that's the trick it's like with social media people say well what can i do on social media here's what you can do on social media get your customers talking about you on social media. And I mean, participate yourself. I'm on social media. I go on there every day and I'm posting stuff. That's not what drives business to me. What drives business to me is when somebody says, hey, I just got Joe's new book, Magnetic. I love it. You should get it. What I say about the book, who cares? That that doesn't carry a lot of weight. What other people say about the book, that carries all the weight in the world. Where do they like it? Where do they don't like it? I mean, it cuts both ways. Mm-hmm. So my my job, how do you, how do you get a lot of people to buy your book? I have to write a really good book. <laughs> <laughs> That's how that works. There's there's no way around it. The family owned upscale grocery. Yeah, that's that's a grocery in uh, in Ohio, and uh, it's interesting. They they go head to head against. Uh, Trader Joe's against Whole Foods against against other small you know kind of gourmet grocery stores. Now, these are these are big grocery stores. They're they're like a Whole Foods grocery store, but family owned. And I'm telling you, you 
going to that grocery store, if you're a foodie at all, which I am, mm-hmm. I'm telling you, it's like going to a grown-up food Disney World because the place is just so cool. And uh, it, th- th- they do they do such good job. It's interesting. Uh, when I look at these small uh, family-owned businesses or a little snowboard company, and then you try and think of, okay, what's a great big company that does the same thing, that really commands tremendous customer loyalty? And there are big companies. Uh, talk to somebody that does business with Zappos, the, uh, the online shoe seller. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'd be very surprised if you ask a Zappos customers, how do you like them? If they answer with anything other than, I love them. I love Zappos. And Steve, here's what they do well. They have great selection. They deliver. uh, Usually, it's overnight. Uh, They have a one-year, no-hassle, we-pay-the-shipping-fee-return policy, and their 1-800-customer-service-number operators are legendary. And so you, you you look though. There's an interesting lesson in that because whether it's the snowboard company or the 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 grocery store or Zappos, where do they win? They win inside the box on what you could call the basics. Because with Zappos, it's inventory, delivery, returns, and customer service. That's not rocket science, but they're so good at it that they set themselves apart from everybody else. So. The thing about the people say, what are the secrets of success? There aren't any secrets of success. None. It's do a really great job. <laughs> now, you can, you, can, you can break it down into the particulars and the different areas. But I'm telling you, it comes down to working harder and being better and giving better value and caring about the people that you do business with, including your employees, but certainly your customers. I mean, really caring that they go away happy and feeling good about going do, doing business with you. Joe Calloway, author of Magnetic, The Art of Attracting Business. Any final thoughts? You, you know, do what your heart says is the right thing to do. And I really don't mean to sound preachy here. I'm talking business. If you do the right thing in business, and you do the right thing over and over and over, ultimately that equals a successful career or a successful business. And when I look at the people, you know, people, business has gotten a bad reputation uh, because there are some bad apples, just like there are in any endeavor. But I tell you, if you look at the people that have done well over a long period of time, they're good people. And they got good hearts and they treat their employees well and they treat their customers well. And and honestly, um, that's probably the best shot I got, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for talking, Joe. It's a pleasure. If you'd like to learn more about Joe or his book, just go to eternalleadership.com slash 103. That's eternalleadership.com slash 103. This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Halftime Institute. In 1994, Bob Buford penned the book Halftime, moving from success to significance. And in the more than 21 years since then, more than three quarters of a million copies have been sold. It's touched baby boomers in the 90s, and it's now touching the lives of both Gen Xers who are in that midlife season, asking, is this all there is? As well as baby boomers who are now searching for significance in retirement. 
To get a free copy of the book, just go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime. And after you read the book, if you have any questions, you can have a no obligation one hour of halftime coaching. Eternalleadership.com slash halftime. Can't beat getting a free bestseller. Next time on Eternal Leadership, tax coach Diane Gardner. As a tax coach, let me give you the end result first. I get to be a tax superhero. So I'm a backup now. A tax no, I coach, love having those two words in the same sentence. I know. Most people like go, huh? <laughs> <laughs> she covers basics and more advanced topics that we all need to be thinking about, not only for this tax season, but future tax seasons in whatever stage of business you're in. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you, really, really, thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. Mm-hmm.